0: Welcome to True House Stories. It's a new dawn, a new era, a new time. And with that comes some new talent. I went through the tea leaves. You know, when you take the tea leaves one by one and you look at them and you say, who is some of the people we want to bring this year coming in? And then when this guy came to me, it was like, yes! Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Let me tell you who I have this week. He is of African descent. He lives in Canada. He now resides in the West Coast. He moved from the East to the West. He's in Vancouver. I learned that he cycles. And what I mean cycles, not motorcycle. He bicycles for charity events he is also a sensation on YouTube with his streams. The more I speak to him, the more educated I have become. And I have to say, this brother, he plays very well. And let me tell you another thing. I said yesterday, I got this guy coming on and these women sent me messages. Oh, we love him. We follow him. We can't believe you got him. I said, yes, I got him. I got him. So. True our stories, would like to welcome to the stage out of Canada, Vancouver, Jabig. Yes. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> There's my audience. Hey Jabig, I know it's early. It's in the West Coast. It's uh, 11.05 in the morning for you, right?
1: It's actually yeah, it's eleven. But uh, <teok Math Instead> technically I'm jet lagged, so it's probably I'm, I'm still on London time. What time? Where have you flown in from? Uh, from London. Oh, wonderful. You out there playing? Yes, I want to play there for December. And then, you know, spend New Year's Eve there. And then, of course, you know, since you mentioned it, I had my bicycle there. So I was biking, you know, spinning and spinning. <laughs> wow.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So you're the life of the international DJ that cycles okay. every content. I don't know why I'm getting these Instagram things coming through. I'm so sorry. I apologize about that. People now all of a sudden decided, since we're live on Instagram as well, they're sending messages. <laughs> so I apologize for that. Well, let's get right into it. Thank you again for, you know, Spending your time on your jet lagged. I hope you're relaxed and comfortable because I know you have some things and some basically some education to share with us about you and your life and how you came up through this music industry stuff. And you know, we all see you on YouTube doing your live streams or actually just listen to you, maybe not necessarily see the live video part of it. Um, but before we even get into the YouTube thing and how that all came about, we're gonna go real simple. Let's, go, let's take it back in time. How does music find you as a young boy? You know, where what is your influences?
1: So surprisingly, uh I come from a very I mean strict background. You know, my dad is a church minister. So we're not allowed to listen to music, you know. And but the irony is that they introduced me to a friend of, you know, I mean, um, the family friends and they had a son and he was an American missionary and listened to a whole lot of like American music. And so that's how I got into it. But at the same time, it was also in the mid 90s. And that's when, you know, house, you know, like the David, uh, you know, CNC Music Factory, David Morales, you know, uh, where everything was popular. And I like that bit. I like the fact that it was very, you know, it's made me happy. So then I started researching it and I started playing it. Of course, I was playing at, uh, you know, uh, secondary school parties. And Play a little bit of cheese in there, you know the Celine Dion's and the you know the the whole. But then as I as I grew up, I like the house music part of it, and then I guess here we are today, you know. and just grew up progressively with it.
0: How much of how much of your life did you spend in Africa, and how much of life did you spend in North America? When did you so, move over,
1: okay, and maybe- why?
0: <laughs> And why, there's three parts
1: to that question, and yeah. why. All right, so I'm not good at maths, so I'm gonna speak in edges, And people can just do their own, they can do their own calculation. So I grew up in, uh, I was born in Rwanda, which is a small country in Central Africa. But when I was eight, I mean, I was born in 1979. And when I was eight, we moved to Kenya. Yeah, you, know, you know, my parents just decided that, you know, they wanted to take our family somewhere else and move to Kenya. And I lived there. Um, until, you know, if you know your history, you know what happened in Rwanda. And then, um, we had briefly gone back and then we left again and we returned to Kenya. And then in the late nineties, we moved to South Africa, where we spent five years. And then my parents decided again for the last time to move the family to Canada in 2002. And I've been here ever since. Yeah. And, uh, Okay, so how old was I? I have no idea, but you know, you can just run the numbers. You know, <laughs> somebody who moved to Canada one in two thousand and two and was born nineteen seventy nine. How old was he? Well, that's how old I was. But I know that I spent the most majority, you know, the majority of my life in uh, Canada. Actually, no, I spent the most years. The country I spent the most years in is in Canada.
0: Well, it's almost half. It's actually almost half and half because you're about twenty three. in in 2002, if I have it correct. (laughs) Yes. So most of your life was more Canadian based than it was
1: Africa. Yeah, I mean, I spent most of my life, I mean, most of my time I spent it, the the place I spent the most of my life is in Montreal, you know, in, in Canada.
0: Yes, because we hear that French accent, bonsoir, and sweet, we, <laughs> we, oui, 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 I can hear it, you know, and, and Montreal had a big club scene as well, because I played many times in Montreal as well as an international guest, so you have been around it at the right spots, like Africa was also, it was beginning early, the house music, because now Africa is off the chain Yeah, with house music now.
1: I mean, in Montreal, so it was pretty brutal, because... All the DJs that played house, they were, you know, they used to cross the border quite often and the, the you know, the local scene was very strong and basically you, you couldn't just be okay. You had to be very good because, you know, you just have to be, and I have to credit the fact that, you know, I had, um, uh, some DJs that took me under the wing, you know, juju Flores and, you know, and I also used to buy my records from in records by, you know, Christian Pronovo. And somehow I gained favor with them and, you know, and then they would, A, get me records and two, get me bookings. And that's how I got started, you know, because that's what I needed. That's what I did to get started is, you know, uh, I guess opportunity and music. And I was starting out, you know, I was, you know, I didn't have like a lot of money because I was still in my early twenties, but the, you know, the record store owner used to take some for me and then put them aside because I knew that even though I came to fetch them later, I would pay for them and he would tell me, you oh, know, get this, get that, get this because, you know, he was also uh, a veteran in the scene. And so, yeah, the fact that I actually landed in Montreal, I think it's 100% the reason why my YouTube channel ended up blowing up because I landed in a place where perfection was the rule, you know, the standard, you know, you couldn't be just okay or not okay. You just have to be good. Otherwise, you didn't exist.
0: So let me understand this. You started, as we would understand this, in the vinyl era, correct? Yes, I did. Okay.
1: For yeah, the, I mean, you know, I remember. I remember carrying. I mean, and the vinyl era in Montreal is different than the vinyl era somewhere else because in Montreal in winter, when you're spinning, you cannot put your record case on the ground when you you know when you're walking. So you're walking for forty minutes without having to put your record case down. And it's because you don't want the records to, you know, you don't want the water to, the salt to damage your record box, you know. Because you ha- I don't know why I had the metallic ones. So you had like a backpack, two record boxes, and you walked. So you go to a gig, you spinning. People are like, what's going on with that guy? And you know, it's just because your arms, you know. But now, with the, you know, with this, with this USB era, you know, we've lost, we've lost this. <laughs>
0: Let's also let's let's talk the technical end of the va- the vinyl era. The actual beginnings for you, the beginnings of beat matching and everything. Did that all come from self taught, or were there others giving you the inside tips of of you know, like for example here don't mix vocals over vocals i was told you know make sure you mix with the phrasing and this and that was the, and then you had to go home and sit there for hours just putting records to mix and mix and hope cuz the first initial records i remember mixing sound like two trucks crashing in the night there's no sync button like pioneer created you know what was it like for you in the beginning
1: so i started uh like actually, when I said I started the vinyl, I uh, actually started in I guess like I said in secondary school, which means that it was house parties, so it was so the house music was on vinyl, but the actual pop stuff was on CD and cassettes, you know. So actually, when we started, I didn't and this is a funny story: I didn't even know what a DJ was for like the first five years of my I was like perhaps 14 and all the way until I was like 19, I didn't even know what a DJ was. So we used to have actually started with two stereos. People would take two hi-fi and then would blend in, you know, press cassette. And then, so what I used to do at home, I used to take all the songs that went together and I used to sit and make sure that they matched. And then I would go and, you know, do it live. It's only later on that I discovered the turntable that I realized that there was actually a button that could change the speed, you know, the tempo. And, And then from there, I started messing around, but I couldn't figure out how to get it started. And the only, I guess the only digital lesson I ever got, or the only point I ever got, was um, there's, a, there's a lady she showed me, because I couldn't figure out. So that, you know, your, your, your tracks always started the wrong way. You have to cue it. I'm like, what is that cue? Well, you take the first bit, and then you rock it. And then from there, you count. I'm like, ah, that's how you get it started. Because before, what I used to do was to start press start. And then it will never catch on because you know it's their you know the techniques, it takes a while before the, it, it it catches, it goes up to speed. So so then when she showed me the cue, I was like, oh my goodness, that blew my mind. And then from there I could just let it let it go. But the whole thing about like vocals not clashing, it was just my ear. My ear did not like that. You know, I was like, it doesn't match, the you know, things are conflicting. So then I went with the you know with the flow. And by the time I moved to uh Montreal, there you had like, you know. The DJs, nobody, you know, nobody ever said anything, but you know how DJs are. They just look. When they do something a little bit funky, they just look at you. Nobody says anything because also Canada being Canada, people are polite, you know. But you can, you know, you learn to read the room and then you realize, oh, something is wrong. And also the beauty of it, uh, the beauty of Montreal is that I would go out often I would hear, you know, some of the good DJs playing. And I'm like, oh, this is how they're doing things and this and that. So in a way, I got inspired, but when it comes to sound, it was more what I liked, you know what I mean? It's what I liked. And from there, I guess I just kept doing what I did. And when the YouTube, you know, when the YouTube thing happened, you know, my channel blew up pretty really quickly because I was one of the first ones to do it. And before copyright, you know, before copyrights were an issue on YouTube. So my biggest secret is not because I am any good. It's just because I was first, you know, before there were copyrights issues. And by the time I was playing whatever, because my mixes were actually recording from some, some of the gigs I had or some of the practice sessions I had at home, and then I realized, oh, I don't have to actually stick to a certain sound because people tend to like what is it that I have to play for them. So that's how I ended up you know, getting this sound of mine and getting it acknowledged and appreciated you know, the world over.
0: I want to ask you about your father. You said your father was a minister? Pre- yeah, church minister, church minister, like a pastor, reverent. Gotcha. I, I, that's what I thought. And in the church, there's music, of course, as we all know. Yes. So is there any musical background in your family as far as you, instrument-wise? Anyone played music as far as instruments or singers? Were you around any of this pre-to-you becoming this DJ?
1: Um, I think the only instrument I can play... Is the recorder that I played at school. I can—I don't even think I can barely whistle. I, mean, I don't even know if I can whistle properly. But so we, I don't come from a musical background. But all, although we love to sing, and as adults though, we've all gotten into music. You know, um, I'm the only one who's into music full time. But all my siblings, uh, you know, they sing. That you know, they they play the instruments just out of their own, you know, I guess for their own fulfillment. But I guess the only. Because also the kind of church we went to, it was very Methodist, very like strict. So it was very, it's more hymns, you know. There's no, That's why even to today, when I see people getting excited at church, I'm always like, "Why are you getting excited? You know, come down. You know, come down." I was gonna say, "Come the hell down." But anyway, come the hell.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, so the singing I grew up in church was more like the traditional hymns, you know, where you just sit like this all day. And then you say, amen, and then you keep going. You know what I mean? So, but of course, you know, I'm African and I was surrounded by music because I think one of the best things that my parents ever did for me was to send me to an international school. So I was surrounded by people from the world over. And actually, that's how I know music from all over the world, because I used to hang out with Senegalese, you know, Ethiopians, you know, people from like um, uh, Brazil, from everywhere. And when I would go to their house, they would play the music. So that was my key. I wasn't allowed to listen to music at home, but I was allowed to go visit my friends and I was listening to them to my music at theirs, you know. And that's how I get to know a lot of music from different backgrounds and it sort of like influenced my style too, which is pretty crazy because sometimes I've traveled to somewhere and they'll play music and I'm like, oh my goodness, I remember this from this, you know, this friend's house, you know. And yeah, so to answer the question, I don't come from a musical background, but I guess also when you're African. Well, music is part of the DNA, so really it's whether you whether you're active with it or not, it's in your DNA.
0: So being of Methodist background, yeah. It's very strict, religious, strict type of way of living and what was the plan that your father had for you? Because I know music was not in that plan, and not to be this DJ Jabig. Like, I know that was not part of the plan at all. I can, I can just visualize. Right. Just when you said, seeing went, amen. Oh, yeah. God, this is a very strict household.
1: Yeah. Share I that mean, with us. Share it. So for starters, I had the double combo of being, you know, obviously, first of all, I'm African. And then I'm Christian. And then I was a foreigner because I always lived abroad. You know, I always, most of my life, I, I spent it abroad. So I have different types of pressures that not a lot of people can relate with. For instance, when you're African, to begin with, forget whether you're religious or not. This whole music business, it's only white people that do that, you know. Like, my son is not becoming a musician. You're not doing that. That's crazy. You know, that's, like, what are people going to say? You know, I didn't send it to the best schools to go become, um, my dad used to call it troubadour, you know, which is like somebody who goes from village to village, banging drums for pennies, you know what I mean? And then and then of course being christian like you're not going to all those places where there is like you know like, like pretty much like sodom and gomorrah like you know all the like it's complete hell and this and that you're not doing that so and but i knew i want to become a dj you know i knew i want to become a dj so when i was at university in south africa cuz i was at university and i was doing a bachelor's of commerce in uh, marketing and i was sitting in a statistics class oh my goodness like, I haven't felt, the kind of person I am, I don't really feel at things because I'm I'm a little bit of, you know, I'm, I tend to be like a perfectionist. But if there's one thing I can just take my hats off to and say you you beat me, you know, fair and square, is statistics. Because I realized that I'm the kind of student I used to open the book for the first time before the exam and actually get my 60%, you know. I, I used to wing it that way. But when it came to statistics, I realized, there's a lot of background, you know, there's preliminary work you need to do. You know, you have to, you have to understand the basics before you go to the actual exam. So statistics, oh my goodness. Statistics kicked my, you know, my bad big time. And one time I was in a stats class and I was sitting and I'm like, what am I doing here? And I couldn't answer that for the 20 minutes, I couldn't answer it. So I got out of class and I got up and I dropped out of university. And so I lived um, in South Africa and my parents lived in Johannesburg and then in, in Pretoria. That's where my university was. And then forget. That's the only time my parents ever came to any school thing of mine. They dressed up, you know. They came dressed like all, my like, suit and all, like formal. And they sat in my room like, "What are you doing with your life? Like, what are you doing? You can't drop at university?" I'm like, "Listen, I can't do it. I just want to go become a DJ." And they were like, "Okay, this guy's crazy." They said, okay, you want to come a DJ? Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, 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 let me ask the question as your father would ask you. What are you planning to do with this? Because that was that asked for me, just like that.
1: Yeah. No, it's not even what are you planning to do with this. It's What are you thinking? What I are you thinking? Right? I don't know what kind of parents you have, but our parents don't reason with us. It's, it's more like, you're doing what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And no. then, and then they're like, you know, she, I remember, like, uh, my parents, was at the, you know, they looked at each other as in, like, is this him? He's Chris. You know, he's this crazy. he's Chris. And then I figured, okay, you know what? You want to be smart and, and become a DJ? Go become a DJ. But from now on, you know, you're going to be on your own. You have to do everything. Go become a DJ, then you'll see what happens. Well, I'm still a DJ. <laughs> but eventually, so, but there were, it, it was more that there were, it was misunderstanding. It's not because there were, you know, I mean, a lot of my parents, I and mean, even today we talk about it. You know, I tease them about them. You know, I, I, tease, I tease, them about it. They tell them, "Remember this and that." But the thing is that my parents, they just, for them, it was more about, you know, this artist's life. They were more concerned about my financial stability, which, to be honest, is, you know, when you're African, you know, and the world is a little bit unstable, financial stability is number one, you know what I mean? I mean, health is number one, but financial stability is number two. So for them, the more they were in, you know, in their legitimacy, I was just throwing my life away because I was going to a, into a life with no, you know, because they were like, at least if you're, a, you know, if you're an accountant or this or that, even if you don't like it, you have like, you know, like recurring income and good income. Because they also I come from a family where this whole business pursuit of happiness, that's, that's for pursuit of what? You know, like, yeah, being happy and being happy is having a house, having like, a, you know, being married and having a bunch of children's running around. That's true happiness. And that's true being another. So then, so I became a DJ, but then I moved back home because, you know, even though this, they, were, they were they were tough, they couldn't just let me be on the street. And I don't know if it's because they love me or if it's because it's African pride, you know, because they can't have the same being a DJ, but also on the street. So I moved back home. But then they really, they really, they noticed something. They noticed that I was, when, you know, I was getting some gigs, but they noticed that I was actually pretty disciplined about it. They would hear me, call, you know, making phone calls about the bookings. They would hear me, you know, like making, being all like business with it. And also the one thing they knew, because I would tell them when I would go to work and when I would come back. And I never forget sometimes my mom used to come into my room and smell the air to to smell if there was alcohol or anything, because that's what they thought. They thought I was just going to a life of the the bush. The Bush, the Bush, like to go just be wild. But they realized that, you know, I was was just in there for the music, you know, because I've I've never drunk my life. I've never smoked. I've never taken any drugs. I've never, I know that to have any judgment against anyone. It's just, I've never done it. And I'm not saying I'm better or worse, you know. I mean, I have my vice. I eat a lot of chocolate, which is sugar, which is the worst drug, you know. (laughs) But it's just, my parents realized, oh, this guy is actually a professional in what he does. And, also, in the meantime, I'd gotten a day job at uh, because I was very good with the, with the internet, and i in a you know, doing like a search engine, engine optimization, email marketing. That was like in the early, in the late '90s, when people didn't even know what is, you know, lead, you know what like even optimization is. I was doing that, and my parents couldn't believe that I would go out and club, and then come back, and then on Monday I'd wake up super early to go to work, you know, and and then I said, okay, it's pretty, it's pretty fair. Well, you, like had said, dedication.
0: you had dedication and the drive to succeed.
1: Yeah, yeah. because this, and they saw that I was making some serious money, but I was actually coming home and then relaxing and listening to music to the extent that even at some stage they were like, do you have a life? Like, do you do you have friends? Is there like, you know, they're do? And then they realized, okay, this guy is okay. But for me, my saving grace was when the bishop, which is like the, my dad's boss, you know, he happened to be in town and my parents invited him. And then obviously I was the only one at home because all my siblings were had gone to university or, you know, they were either way at university. And then he asked me, like, what is that to do with your life? And I saw my parents, like, oh my goodness. And then it's like, oh, I'm a DJ. It's like, oh, what is that to do? Well, I go play music in nightclubs. And my parents were like, because you know you don't do that. You know you don't. That's pretty shameful. If you don't but do
0: because that because it's worldly music. It's it's yeah. the world thing. And, and that, oh that's oh my
1: gosh, like this reverend here, what has it done? The but church. then the bishop said, yeah. But then the bishop said, oh, you know what? Actually, church needs people like you, and you know, and you know, the world needs people like you, so that you can go be the light in the darkness. Because you know, because he said that in church is people who have the light who bring the light to each other. But then. The best are people go out there and be an example and who shall show that they can be part of the world without being part of the world. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. And then we carried on with dinner and this and that. And then that day, suddenly, my parents' perspective changed. It's all it's almost as the bishop validated what I do. And then my parents were at peace with it because we just got to show that ultimately. It's also the image thing that my parents, you know, the issue about their son being a DJ and being this and that because, it's you know, But after that, everything was okay. And I was actually, now it became like where, I'll never forget because sometimes i would be taking a nap and then my parents would tell my siblings who were visiting, shh, Jean is taking a nap. He's working tonight. And then they would leave me. This time they would, like, you know, they would leave me. When I would come back from the clubs, There would be like leftover food and this and that. And they started, you know, and they encouraged me. I'm I'm 42, and every now and then they'll still say, "Hey, don't you want to go back to university and finish your degree?" But you know, no, I love my life the way it is, and I'll never I'll never forget the one day uh, when I was dropping out. My father said, "You know what? You'll see one day life is gonna something big is gonna happen, and you'll realize that you should have gone gotten something more stable because financially you're going to it's gonna be a big financial hit." And I promise you. I think that meant predicted 2020, because I'm talking all this a conversation we had in, like, in the late 90s, I'm talking about something big that scratched to and I paralyzed the whole world, and I would, re- I would feel sorry for not having financial stability. Well, the pandemic hit, and it's true. What happened, happened. It's like, you know, the nightclubs, nobody could DJ and this and that. But then sub- suddenly I was like, hey, hang on a minute. Everyone who I'm surrounded with, all these these people who have like, you know, not five jobs, it seems like everyone seems to be struggling more than I am, because they have mortgages, they have car payments, have all this and that, and I seem to be doing okay. And that's when, personally, I stopped being afraid of the life I chose, and I said, "Okay, I'm happy with it." I think I went on on a tangent there. Oh, it's wonderful! Anyway. No, we need to,
0: <laughs> no, we need to understand you, and this is perfect. I'm glad. Um, but the thing is, you know, I love the idea that the bishop gave the, the green light to your lifestyle. That's changes everything in your your home with your parents. Now, all of a sudden, it's one of their peers or somebody they look up to is now paying homage to you. The boss. Yeah, the boss is actually saying, yeah. you're good at what you do. This is great. Yeah. We need light like you in this darkness comes light and you're perfect for that. You bring, And you know what? Music is a healer. But I want to what I was thinking about was you mentioned statistics in college and stuff. And you also mentioned in the late 90s you were working with programming pre to the internet becoming what it is now. So let me say this to you. Did you actually have the insight pre to YouTube that you were going to take this, somehow take this music thing into the computer. Because a lot of us at that time were saying, ah, get out of here with that internet stuff. You know, we were thinking more like, you know, we're doing the live gigs. This is the way it goes. Was that already something you were actually dreaming about? I mean, were you foreseeing this way if you were looking into a crystal ball or was it just something that you happened to gravitate? To the computer and work that way and just went with the changes?
1: Well, there's no exciting answer. The answer is that I actually didn't see the relationship. The YouTube thing happened by accident. And the whole irony is actually actually, it's my mom that gave me the idea without knowing. Because one day I was visit, I was paying them a visit. So anyway, you'll hear that I talk about my parents a lot. It's just I like them and I like to, you know, I like to go see them. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> I don't no, live with hey. Now it's what uh, so I was paying my I was paying I was paying my parents a visit. And then I was really, I was I was upstairs talking to my dad. But then downstairs I could hear a lot of Rwandan music, you know, music from Rwanda. And I kept wondering who's listening to that? And then I went downstairs, it was my mom. And I'm like, where are you getting this music from? Because it doesn't make sense. I don't see the tapes. And there's a lot of it. You've been at it for like two hours. It's like, no, I'm listening to music through YouTube. Now was like Mom, you know what YouTube is? It's like, what do you mean? And she showed me that she has playlist, and it's actually the first time I saw that somebody was making playlists of her favorite song and letting and letting it run through like a continuous, you know, like a continuous radio station. Because at the time there were no ads, there was no nothing. It was, you know, YouTube was still that small. It was before Google purchased them. So there was there was still some like some, you know, there were just some tiny company. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then at the time I had a website and I used to have some mixes that I streamed there and had random strangers come to it and this and that. And then it got popular.
0: Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.